Kia ora, I'm Madison Reedy, and you're listening to the Deloitte Private Podcast On Point. Being a business owner is anything but easy, especially when challenges like COVID-19 come your way. In this podcast, we'll chat to some of the best Kiwi entrepreneurs who've come out the other side of crises before. We'll find out how they turned failures into fuel and self-doubt into success. Expect stories from the startup trenches and guidance about growth directly from those who've done it. This is On Point. Who would have thought a chat with your fitness trainer could form into a health food brand, selling to hundreds of supermarkets across Australasia? Well, that's what happened between Richard Plimmer and his trainer, Tom Dorman, one half of the brand now known as Tom and Luke. The manufacturer of healthy protein bars and bliss balls is giving consumers a better lifestyle choice in the snack aisle. Richard has been the secret ingredients to Tom and Luke's success, seeing it sold on shelves across Australia, New Zealand and beyond. In a market where it can be pretty hard to stand out, Richard knows his stuff, having started Juice Express in the 90s and the fruit, cordial and coffee syrup company, Shot Beverages. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Madison. It's great to be part of this podcast. Uh, I've been part of the food and beverage industry for nearly 30 years now. And, uh, you know, for me, it's always been a story of perseverance rather than overnight success. Uh, especially, you know, working in New Zealand when you've got a very small population. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you've got an open mind and you're willing to learn along the way, you can do incredible things. And, uh, you know, I love sharing some of my weird and wonderful experiences in the hope that it can help inspire other people. I'm sure this podcast and our chat will absolutely be weird and wonderful, Richard. (laughs) So your involvement in Tom and Luke, that sort of happened by happy accident, didn't it? So how did you know that they were onto something big at the beginning? Actually, they weren't. So um, I, I met Tom when I joined Les Mills and I was looking for a personal trainer. And I asked the receptionist um, who was the best person they had, and they recommended Tom. And uh, funnily enough, they were right. He's to this day the best personal trainer I've ever had. So uh, if you're listening to this, Tom, you're amazing and keep it up. <laughs> but um, interesting enough, the you know I met Tom and when he got to know me and, and uh, found out what I did for a career, he started talking about his ideas for healthy snacks. And then uh, one day he said, oh, do you want to come come along to the uh, cafe around the corner that my friend Luke manages? So we went over there and he showed me this, uh, what I can only call a slimy green bar with chunks of chocolate in it. Doesn't sound so healthy. <laughs> well, it was green. Anyway, I, I, I said to Luke, I said, what do you want me to do with that? And he said, eat it. And so anyway, I, I, I ate it and it was fantastic. It had a really terrific flavour and texture and, and was really filling and was made of really good whole food, healthy ingredients. Um, but, and so what they were doing at the time, they, Tom and Luke, uh, Tom had designed it and, and Luke was manufacturing it by hand in his cafe and basically selling it to Tom's uh, gym customers who were just around the corner and so they were really only selling it in the local cafe and didn't know where to take it and uh, I was operating a food factory in Wainuiumata at the time, still am and uh, we had a lot of space so I said to the lads well if you're you're keen to do something with this 
uh, we could manufacture it in my factory and I'd be happy to finance it and help you brand it and package it and, and, and do everything. So you effectively commercialised it. How did you see an opportunity from the beginning? Well, again, it was different to any other protein bar I'd ever had um, because it was made with real whole food ingredients and um, it was actually made with whey protein, whereas now we're Tom and Luke's a vegan company. Um, But it was just such high-quality ingredients and Tom had managed to put together a formulation um, that was healthy and tasted good at the same time, which was absolutely unheard of. And I think it had... um, 20 grams of protein per, I think it was a 75-gram bar at the time, which was a little too big because it was, it was quite hard to eat the whole bar in one sitting. Um, but the issues we had with it was that, based on the ingredients, it actually had a high moisture level and uh, only had a sh- shelf life of six weeks. So, um, you know, with protein bars, you want to have impulse purchase at the front of the counter, which we were doing but we were very limited in, in what we could do in terms of distribution. So, you know, this, the product sold relatively well, but it was never going to be a, a massive, massive seller. Uh, and I tried reformulating it to try and get rid of some of the uh, moisture to stop the mould growing, and I just couldn't do it without changing the flavour and texture too drastically. Once you did start selling it, it went, yep. with revenue, it went from zero to $400,000 in about three months, which is enormous. That, that was, sorry, that was actually our um, snackables. Oh, okay. So that wasn't the initial yeah. protein bar? No, no, so no. So how no. did the protein so, bar do at the beginning? Oh, look, we, we did rather well out of it. I think we, um, in the first two years, we went from zero to a 900000 turnover. Um. And, and then we discovered the opportunity of the snackables, and it was the snackables that just went berserk. Why do you think the snackables went berserk? Um, we weren't the first to launch them. So there was another company that had done it about uh, six months prior to us. And I thought their, their concept was absolutely awesome, but I didn't think much of the flavours. And so, you know, we, um, we understood the ingredients and we thought we could make a better product, so we set out to do that. And pretty much from day one, it just took off. When we started, we had um, six kids hand-forming the balls, and, and we could only make about a 1,000 a day. It was an absolute nightmare. Still a lot of balls. Oh, well, no, not, not when you've got them in packs of five or seven or ten or something. You know, you can only sell, you can only make so many packs. Um, so it actually took us five years of constant research and trialling uh, and, and spending money on, on engineers to create the technology to scale up and enable us to expand uh, globally. So we've gone from 1,000 balls a day to 1,000 balls an hour. Wow. What are the challenges that come with that skyrocketing of demand while you're still trying to figure out the manufacturing capability while they're selling like hotcakes? Well, you know, it's funny. The first thing is the, the actual technology to, to scale up. And um, you can't just go and buy ball-forming machines off the shelf. They don't exist. So we had to develop our own technology. And we're very lucky that we've got a uh, some engineers in Wellington that are absolutely terrific and we're willing to try different ideas. But the other big issue, which people think is fine, is that you don't want supermarkets running out of product. 
You know, if the shelves are bare, they will delist you. So everything, everybody thinks it's an amazing problem to have, all the demand and not being able to fill it, but it's not. Um, but your relationships with your resellers can be seriously affected very quickly. So you've got to be very disciplined in how wide you go in terms of um, bringing it to the marketplace. I am absolutely keen to speak with you more so about what it's like trying to get onto and staying on the supermarket shelf. But you mentioned they're launching in Australia. Why did you decide to take Tom and Luke International so quickly, really, in its early days? Uh, that's actually quite an interesting story, and it's all about timing. So the, the retail pack of small uh, multi-serve balls was at the time unique to New Zealand. So we, we were the second company to start manufacturing them, but within six months, there were three other competitors on the market. And I knew we had to launch in Australia before the competition. Otherwise, the supermarket buyers wouldn't, wouldn't take us on. So as it happened, Woolworths Australia um, had already given verbal approval to one of our competitors. However, we came along just in the nick of time and they loved our flavours and branding. So the competitor was out and we were in. And funnily enough, that competitor never ended up launching in Australian supermarkets. Wow, so there was so, a bit of luck involved. Oh, massive luck. I think if we'd gone there two months later, um, we wouldn't have got in. And um, yeah, there you go. Clearly, that's quite easy to look back on in hindsight, but at the time, did you really know the challenge that you were up for? Well, look, Aussie supermarkets are a lot harder to get into than New Zealand ones to start with, and, you know, usually they work on an annual purchasing basis. So you can be working, you know, nine to 12 months ahead. But what we did when we launched in Australia is we got a third-party distributor to help us, and they already had those key contacts with the supermarket buyers so while I came along to all the meetings, uh, they were instrumental in getting us in there. And as I said before, we're bloody lucky uh, that we, we raced to get in there. And as you mentioned, dealing with supermarkets can be pretty brutal. What's some of the criticism that Tom and Luke, the brand, faced and also other brands, food brands that you've started in the past when you've tried to get on the shelves? I mean, we've had supermarket buyers who've said that they don't like the flavours. We've had them say... Uh, that they don't taste healthy enough. Um, as it happened, we did list the products and they sold rather well. So how do you know whether or not you should actually take that criticism on board or not? Does it depend on who it's coming from? Well, it does because a buyer can make or break you. So, you know, you have, you have to listen to the buyer and take on board what they say. And, you know, um, I think the buyers in Australia are a lot more opinionated than the ones in New Zealand, so you've, you've d definitely got to listen to them. And, you know, you can't go against a Woolworths or a Coles because they're massive organisations. And, look, we've been very lucky with the Snackables in that they are leading-edge products and they've got fun flavours and, and they do appeal to this market at the moment, which is uh, the vegan whole food market, which is growing dramatically. But something like a snacker ball is a pretty innovative product, something that no one had really seen before until Tom and Luke arrived. So what was the hardest thing about trying to sell a product that was a newcomer and an underdog? Does it take more convincing for them to buy your product? Oh, look, I think you've, um, you know, in terms of Australia, it was a completely different market. So in Australia, they were selling larger single-serve balls, which are about 40 grams each. And... Um, the interesting story there, so when we first approached Woolworths, there were no 
small multi-serve packs on the market. And so uh, there were companies there selling these 40-gram balls and they didn't taste particularly good. They were all about health as opposed to health and flavour and sold in really low volumes. And I remember when we got listed in Woolworths and our distributor placed the first order and it was for one container. And I said, great, when are you going to place your second order? And they said, oh, we're going to wait two or three months and see how the market goes. And I said, well, from our experience in New Zealand, these things just go like hotcakes. You've got to place a second order immediately. I want the second container to arrive in Australia two weeks later. And they said, no, we don't agree with you. Um, These balls aren't going to sell in massive quantities. So I ended up having to send them the second container on consignment. And I was proven right. They sold out in three weeks. So if I'd listened to them, we would have been out of stock in Woolworths for about a month. Gout feeling, was it? Well, well, it was what was happening in New Zealand. Um, so you couldn't compare it to Australia. Um, the other difference about the Aussie market is, is that there's a lot more margins taken off in terms of promotion and, and, and what supermarkets want. So we ended up having to price the product a lot higher. So once you're in the supermarket, you're on the shelf, the food and beverage sector is flooded with products. There's so many options for consumers, especially now in the health space. So how did you make Tom and Luke's products stand out on the shelf? If you look at New Zealand, we did something actually quite different. Um, We had a uh, graphic artist at the time, Scott, who's actually still with us at Tom and Luke. And um, as well as being a graphic artist, he's a builder and a sculptor and he does all these amazing things. And he designed these point-of-sale stands out of plywood really inexpensive to make but they look terrific and so we had countertop stands and we had full standing ones and we managed to get them into the supermarkets and the minute you put them in there we got them in prime positions near to the front counters the sales just went berserk because we were the only ones doing it and you know typically when you get a product in a supermarket and you do a promotion you'll put a cardboard stand in there and it might last the two weeks of the promotion but we had stands in there for over a year And at one stage in the bigger supermarkets, we had merchandisers who were having to go in there twice a day. The products were selling just so quickly. So it's trying to think outside of the box um, in terms of what you can do with your retail partners. If you look at your career history and all of the brands that you've come up with, First Juice Express, Shot Beverages, Maximus Pies and Tom and Luke, they've all been extremely successful. What have you done and replicated across all of those brands that you think made them a win with consumers in their time? I mean, I think each company had different reasons for its success. Um, If you look at Juice Express, it was much about the world-class distribution we set up as it was about the innovative products we're doing. If you look at Shot, um, it was about benchmarking ourselves against the world's best and then going one step further with exquisite packaging and and branding. Tom and Luke, different again. Um, You know, I'd look at that and say it's all been about trust and authenticity. You know, as a healthy snack manufacturer, consumers need to know that they can believe in the products they're buying and eating. One of the reasons we named the brand after my business partners is that Luke is a chef and Tom is a personal trainer and they both practice what they preach. So, you know, what can be more real than that? 
But if you look at all those businesses, from my perspective, it's it's been this obsession with creating the best possible products and, and doing um, an amazing amount of research around the world, which is very easy on the internet these days, um, to find out what everybody else is doing, what the trends are, and, and how we can do them better, faster, cheaper, and, and excite people. If you had to put a ratio on that product and then marketing, I mean, how how much of that is it? Ninety ten to product and packaging. Uh, being a product person, I'd probably say ninety nine percent myself, but that's a load of rubbish. <laughs> Your marketer <laughs> so, would disagree. <laughs> oh no! Look, I, I actually think anybody can create an amazing product, but to get it out in the marketplace, to get the distribution going, and, and um, you know, you've, you know, I've been involved in the retail side of things through supermarkets and also in food service into the hospitality industry. And so, you know, retail's a lot different in that you can go to one buyer and all of a sudden you're in a thousand stores. Where at food service, you're going to a cafe or a restaurant or a bar or whatever, and you build them up one by one, it takes a lot longer. And so if you've got a really good distribution set up, um, you'll succeed. So what's the number one thing you ask yourself when you're developing a new food brand? Is the market big enough? So, um, you know, it's all very well creating amazing products, but if there are no consumers, then you're not going to last very long. If you look at Tom and Luke, um, we're riding the, the bigger wave of raw vegan whole food snacks. And, and, you know, that's only just really starting that people are realising plant-based food is, is the way of the future. You mentioned authenticity earlier, Richard. With social media so prolific now and consumer trends moving so rapidly, how has the brand connection with consumers changed? Um, we've had a number of really uh, fascinating things happened uh, along our journey in Tom and Luke in different markets uh, for different reasons. And uh, an amazing example is our sales in Japan. So... Um, the Japanese have a very healthy diet, so healthy snacking don't really resonate as well. Um, so when we launched in Japan, we tried our chocolate balls, which are a bit more indulgent, and, you know, they were doing okay. Then an influencer discovered the product, and she mentioned to her followers, and I think she even mentioned it on a TV show that she appeared on, overnight the Amazon sales went through the roof. And then on the back of that, 7-Eleven approached us and they've got 10,000 stores in Japan. So, I mean, that was just incredible. And I look back on it now and I go, my God, I wish I could replicate that across the world. Um, you know, another one of our ventures, we're in partnership with a company who make collagen products. And one of the shareholders is Khloe Kardashian. And you look at the millions of followers she's got, oh my God. So, you know, we're hoping that we've got some really cool products we're launching with them. Um, that it's going to go ballistic. How much of that does come down to authenticity? Because somebody like Khloe Kardashian is a huge, enormous star. It can be pretty tricky for someone to resonate with somebody like that. Well, let's go back a step. Firstly, from Khloe Kardashian's points, because she's so big, she's got to be bloody careful who she chooses to partnership with. So um, they manufacture collagen products and worldwide collagen is booming as a health and beauty product. It come, it's like 90% protein and it's got all these amazing benefits for your, for your skin and your well-being. If your products are going to make me look like Khloe Kardashian, Richard, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they don't make me look like Khloe Kardashian. <laughs> I am also keen to ask you about capital as well. Tom and Luke has just brought on another shareholder in Pioneer Capital. Talk me through that process of bringing a new equity partner on board. Uh, look, Pioneer was um, 
was really interesting because they invest in uh, New Zealand companies that have got export potential. And, you know, they're not a traditional private equity company where it's all about making money and getting out as quick as possible. So they're in there for a, a longer term. And uh, they really support you in terms of not only capital, but the, the resources to make things work. And so, you know, at the time we'd been running Tom and Luke for about four years and we'd been doing quite well in New Zealand, Australia. But the resources you need to do to, to go global are just, you know, massive. Um, so we needed money to expand our factory and automate the process. And also, um, you know, when you're exporting overseas, you've got massive amounts of money tied up in stock. At any one time, we might have containers on the water to Japan, to um, to Australia, to America, uh, South Korea coming up, and there's millions of dollars tied up in that stock. So you've really got to think uh, of your whole business in a different perspective when you when you start talking about bigger countries. I mean, you look at America, 360 million population. God knows how many snackables they could sell if every man and his dog wanted them. What are the obvious signs to you in a startup that tells you it's time for the business to raise capital? Well, look, you get to a point where you need not only capital but expertise. And so going back again to Tom and Luke, I don't remember how many balls we were, uh, an hour we were manufacturing at the time, but we were really struggling uh, to afford the technology we were, we were creating ourselves and also all the packaging equipment we needed. You know, there was millions of dollars worth uh, of money to be spent. And, um, and as I say, the other thing is, is, is working capital, which you don't really understand until you're in, in the mix of things. So, um, you know, you can imagine sending stuff over to the US, especially during COVID, where freight rates and freight times have just ballooned out, where you could have something on the water for three months and then you've got to hold stock in America to give to the retailers. So you might have nine months worth of product you're sitting on before it's even sold, which is a nightmare. So you've got to be very careful about when you when you approach a company for funding um, because you can't just go and go back to them every second day and want more money. So you've got to come up with a pretty good plan for the next few years that's going to see you through. Throughout Tom and Luke's journey, how has working with Deloitte Private helped the business to succeed? Actually, that... that sort of question goes back to my early days in the 90s. Bit of a long story, but I went to a seminar by a business consultant called Michael Gerber. And one of the first things he said was, the only reason you're in business is to sell it. And basically what that means is that your business must be set up and run in such a way that it's ready for sale at any time and can easily be handed over to the potential buyer. So a big part of that is running a professional set of accounts that the buyer can trust in and can easily understand. Um, and it also helps you along the way in your ability to make informed business decisions. So, you know, Deloitte for us is one of the top international brands and it's got a vast array of experts that you can't get in, in your smaller accountancy firm. So, you know, when you start talking about uh, international tax issues and company structures and all those things that you'd never get 
just trading in New Zealand, you need bigger businesses like Deloitte's. And one of the other reasons I chose Deloitte over everyone else was that they not only guide you in your day-to-day activities of your business, but they actually celebrate your success along the way. The uh, Deloitte Fast 50 is an absolutely awesome annual event. Um, You get to see how you measure up against other businesses and all the hard work you put in gets recognised. It's just terrific. So not only has Deloitte made being in business easier, they've made it more enjoyable for you too. Yeah, 100%. Incredible. And it's obviously a very tricky time for businesses out there at the moment, especially those in that hospitality, cafe, restaurant sector. So finally, I'd just love to ask you, Richard, what's your advice to any business owners who are really doing it tough right now? Yeah, look, I've been in the hospitality industry on and off for about 30 years, and we can easily see it's been one of the worst hit in the past few years, and a lot of businesses have had to close down. You know, having said that, at the end of the day, it's all about your staff and customers um, providing a great service and a, and a product that your consumers really value and want to come back for is the ultimate for me. I'm always trying to up my game. I'm always trying to introduce new and exciting things and, and, and keep getting customers excited. Um, you know, it was funny after the first big lockdown, I thought consumers weren't going to come back. I looked at my own habits of eating out and I thought, oh, God, I'm never going to eat in a restaurant again. But, you know, we humans are social people. We love going out there and socialising and eating and drinking at establishments that we know and love and will continue to support. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Richard. I especially loved what you said about thinking outside the box and doing marketing and branding different than anybody else has before. That is Richard Plimmer from Tom and Luke. My pleasure. Thanks very much. I'm Madison Reedy. Thank you for listening to On Point, brought to you by Deloitte Private. Deloitte Private.